This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For men, the, the best picture was actually neutral face. So neutral faces actually did better for men than like full-on smiling, and they did w- way better than closed mouth smiling. So neutral or big smile, don't go in between. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Today we're talking with my good friend, Vanessa Van Edwards. She's a behavioral investigator, a body language expert, an author, and of course, a friend of mine and friend of the show. We're gonna talk about the science of popularity, different types of attraction in both the personal and professional realm, nonverbal signals using blind date research, and what we can learn about people from their photographs, especially on dating sites. And there's a whole lot more in this one. So enjoy this episode with Vanessa Van Edwards. And by the way, if you're new to the show, we'd love to send you some top episodes and the AOC Toolbox. That's where we really break down the science of people and discuss things like reading body language and having charismatic nonverbal communication, the science of attraction, negotiation techniques, social engineering, networking and influence strategies, mentorship, persuasion tactics, and everything else that we teach here at The Art of Charm. Check that out at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox or in our iPhone app at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone. Also at theartofcharm.com, you can find the full show notes for this and all previous episodes of the show. We're glad to have you with us here today at AOC, and enjoy this episode with Vanessa Van Edwards. Thanks for doing the show, by the way. Thanks Good for to meet you in me. person. Yeah. So you're a behavioral scientist. Is that fair? Researcher. Got yeah. it. Got Creepy it. people watcher. Creepy people watcher. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up for that club. <laughs> Well, what I like about what you do is you don't just go, hmm, this sounds like a cool thing that I should pretend is true and then write a book about it. You actually test some of what you're doing here. Yeah. So what I try to do mostly is look for puzzles, especially puzzles where we have this idea that something could work, but we're not sure how or what's the action step. So like, for example, we hear all the time about first impressions. Oh my goodness. There's so many articles about it. We talk about it. And I thought, okay, we talk about real life first impressions. We talk about digital first impressions, but how about the phone? Right. Like, oh yeah. Sure. I'm on the phone all day long. You do podcasts. Like my first impression was that stupid comment I made a few seconds ago. Right. And I'm like, how about just audio? Sure. So I was like, okay, there's very little studies on this, but that is a very practical thing for people who spend all day on the phone. What if we took the first impression on the phone, which is just hello? Hello. Yeah. You took that and you tried different variables with it. For example, if you someone power posed. They stood on with their hands on their hips and real broad. So right now I'm real broad. Or hands free. Hands free. Like this. Superman, starfish, whatever. And you're like, hello. Does that change if you then go into defeated posing? So you cross your arms over your chest. For example, for people who are listening, I'm going to do hello with a couple different micro expressions. And I want you to see if I sound different to you. So this is my broad happiness micro expression. Hello. Now I'm going to do a sadness micro expression. This is the most depressing face I can make. Hello. 
It's different. It's a little bit different. It's different. Yeah. Okay. So we recorded the same people doing different forms of hello, body language and micro expressions. And then we asked random participants, and thank goodness we have lovely people who play in our lab, to rate these people on charisma, intelligence, and likability. So hard without seeing them. Can people tell when they're not looking is the question. Like, you think it's hard, but people are like, oh yeah, this person sucks. They suck. Like, they, people have no problem. Like, just. So they're confidently making that judgment. So, and what we do is we have it split up so that you don't obviously know you're listening to the same person. We sure. have like this sort of blind trial. And so we just ask someone, uh, listen to this person answer the phone. How likable are they on a scale of one to 10? People rate them. After multiple trials, you have to do multiple trials with it. We found that there are distinct differences between the micro expressions and body language you make and the impressions that people have of you. So for example, one of the big ones was anger, the, specifically the anger micro expression. So anger, uh, we talked about- I'm good at that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a natural, natural it's a state for you. It's a macro expression, right? Like if you, if you tighten your eyebrows and you harden your lips, it changes the flow of oxygen. So if you say, hello, like that's a very- Harsh. Because you're getting a physical manifestation of that. It's not just your mindset. It's the tension in your vocal cords and all that stuff shows up. Exactly. And that came across as lower in likability, right? Because we don't want to be friends with someone who's very... Story of my life. Right. right. But (laughs) higher in confidence. Really? And that's an interesting one. That's well, that's, I think, why a lot of guys start off with the scowl. And you look at magazines like Maxim for basically for kids. And if you're reading that, (laughs) Get rid of that crap. Those guys are all scowling and looking mean because it looks masculine or cool or confident, but it's more like a basic interpretation of that emotion. And I think it's what we think of as masculine, yeah. right? So like, I'm very interested in like how we perceive masculinity or femininity. And so if you think about anger, specifically a man who is angry, it means that he feels confident in whatever his opinion is. So in a way, anger is sort of a symptom of confidence. And that's why I think, and I don't know why people in our study perceive the angry hello as being very confident. Hmm. These are the kind of studies that I like to do because I find them very practical in the sense of like, if you're in a bad mood, should you pick up the phone, right? If you are feeling like at the top of your game and you're really happy, is that going to help you make a sales call? I mean, my gut says yes. My gut says yes too. Yeah. And that was my hypothesis. Right. And so we're still running. We're in the last trial of the experiment. Oh, good. So we're still running it because I want to see. So we do kind of crazy experiments like that. Let me know if you need more angry guys. <laughs> okay, I volunteer. People will know it's you. That's... People will know. If, if I have Jordan, if I have you doing all the facial expressions, people will be like, this is fucking Jordan Harbinger. This is the a-hole micro expression. <laughs> I recognize I that curse. voice. What about power posing? You mentioned oh, that. I love it. And, yes. and I've, we interviewed Amy Cuddy. She's got one of the most popular TED Talks of all time. However, I'll tell you, we used to run power posing drills at Art of Charm and we kind of went, is this working? What are we doing wrong here? We're not seeing it. We actually stopped doing it because we figured, well, maybe one day we'll have Amy come in and show us. However, what we've now read in Scientific American Mind and other reputable places is that, hey, no one's been able to reproduce these results that supposedly came about in the study. I'm not saying Amy Cuddy did this on purpose or anything like that. I'm just saying I think there's some flaw in the theory here. Yeah, so we had the exact same problem. This is very sad. And and I really like Amy Cuddy's. She has many other studies. This is not the only one. Right. We were teaching it. We would do all kinds of exercises with it. It was originally in my book. Mm -hmm. And when all this came out, we decided to remove the slides. We decided to remove it from my book. And so when I dug into the research on this to see is there any truth other than this one study that's not replicated? What I realized is I think that people are not seeing what she was trying to say, which is that there is a universal gesture of pride. So for example, separate research from the University of British Columbia 
found that athletes across cultures make the same body language when they win or lose a race. Oh, right. The, the whole blind yes, Olympian yes, runner yes. doing the same thing. So I'm, I say to myself, okay, maybe it doesn't change your testosterone levels. Okay. But we do know that universally, when you feel pride, you take up space, you expose your torso. And when you feel defeated, you crumble in. That is a very helpful nugget no matter if it increases your testosterone levels or not. Sure, right. We decided to, we don't not teach power posing at all. What we do is we've taken out the hormone references. And I think it is important to understand how much space you take up in the world indicates to others and yourself how confident you feel. Sure, the the whole taking up space, nonverbal communication, right. masculine and feminine body language and things like that definitely still holds up. In fact, you're right. We don't necessarily teach power posing either, but... We just encompass it in other improv drills that get you to take up space yes. and be extroverted for a few moments. And, and the hard part is, is this is why I think that it's so hard to do real good research. I had a choice in my career and I graduated from college and it was like, okay, do I go get a master's and a PhD and run, you know, real research science right. with grants and I get academically, you know, published or do I open up shop right now? And instead of having 36 seniors in college who mm -hmm. take an experiment have 22,000 people around the world take it. And so I've decided to say no to academia because the pressure there to falsify results or change your hypotheses. Publish or, or perish is the thing they say yes, there. Publish or perish. I don't want to do either of those things. Right no. Now. <laughs> and so that I think is one of the things yeah. where I'm hoping that we can usher in a new area of citizen science research with big data, right? Like 20,000 people lots of different demos, right? Like not all one age group. I mean, we know True, so yeah. much about college seniors. And I think that, you know, psychology, people who need extra credit in psychology classes. Those genotypes are completely We know them mapped. so well, but like the results are different if you ask a 45-year-old woman. I mean, they're going to be different. And I have no problem with academia taking credit for doing a quote-unquote real study after all the anecdotal stuff has been sussed out by private companies. I don't care. A lot of fans of Art of Charm are therapists, scientists, researchers, and they'll say, hey, I'm working on this thing that I'm not supposed to totally tell you about. But if when we meet in person or talk on the phone, they're like, we're working on this and we're going to prove this thing. And I, the joke that we've had at Art of Charm, and I'm sure you have some version of this all along, is whenever you see a scientific study about something that you've been teaching already, you go, and science moves 1% closer <laughs> yes. to finding out what we've known at AOC for a decade. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say like, oh, we're so much better than scientists. No. I think their work is invaluable. We have to rely on it to know that what we're doing actually works and is not just placebo effect. Although I'm also fine with a lot of placebo effects in the mix. I love the placebo effect. It's all about the results. I agree with you that they're very slow to catch up. The problem is, is we have to try to find research where they're actually testing a real percent of the population. Yeah. It's really hard to do. There has to be, there has to be capitalist motivation yes. in there. Maybe where, Elon Musk will change that. Yeah, Elon, get on it, man. Come on. Fun some research. Come on, catch up. Um, one of the reasons I love your work so much is because you hate the advice, be yourself, find your passion, be more authentic, which is what I think a lot of people come to us originally kind of looking to do, but don't really know what it means. Yeah. So I was one of those kids in school. So I hated camp. I hated recess, like all the things that other kids <laughs> loved. Like we're Who just like recess? torture. Oh my God. And I, kittens. <laughs> like I, I hated it because I, ne I just like did not get along with other kids or I was just like really shy. And so my parents being very trying to be as supportive as they could, they would say like, be yourself. Yeah. Thanks, mom. Just be nice to the other kids. Tried that and got beat up. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, and then, and then once you got into the dating world, it was yeah. be authentic and someone will love you for you. And I would look at this advice and just be like, 
it, this is impossible and it means nothing. Yeah. And so I like to dig into like, what does that actually mean from a scientific perspective? And for me, that means breaking down authenticity or passion or being nice into actual action steps in science. Sure. I would love to hear about that because of course, when I hear and what I translate be yourself to mean is be as comfortable around this perfect stranger and have the same sort of emotional triggers that you have on your friends and family who've known you for years, except somehow magically do that in the first three minutes of you meeting this other person, <laughs> yes, exactly. which is literally Magic. impossible. <laughs> it's it's actually impossible. To I do. totally agree. So I was always kind of fascinated by the cool kids in school. Who wasn't? That was what made them cool. They I had know. nothing else going for them. <laughs> they had like this cloud of amazing, yeah. right? Like they were just like walk around and everyone wanted to be them. Like, I swear to you, they would wear like whatever, overalls, slap bracelets, and like everyone the next day was wearing it. You clearly grew up in the same time as me. You know what I'm saying. And so I finally found this study that looked at the science of popularity. And what they did is they went to high schools and they surveyed kids for their popularity rankings, why certain kids were popular. They followed them. That's kind of creepy. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like terrible when I said that out loud. But yeah, like (laughs) They observed the children in their natural habitat. Got it. Can you guess what was the distinguishing factor that made the popular kids popular? Oh, man, there's probably a lot, but the distinguishing factor? There was a couple. You're right. But like one of the big ones. No, I don't know. I don't know. So the first thing they found, they dug into it more, was that the most popular kids smiled the most during the day. Actually, that surprises me. I was like kind of bummed by that. Actually, like when I first read it, I was like, like... Okay, like, I don't want to, like, smile at everyone in the street. Like, I knew that. Okay, like, it kind of bummed me out. I thought that was boring. What they researched second was that the distinguishing factor between what makes a kid popular is that they like the most other students. That also surprises me. That one surprised me. So it wasn't actually that they were most liked, although they were. The popular kids themselves actually liked the most of their other classmates. It's like Dale Carnegie's be interested in other people to get them interested in it you. Was, it was exact, it was sort of like finally the science version of this. Even Dale Carnegie, and I love his work, be interested to be interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like it. It sounds more clever maybe than it is. Yeah. And it still sounds a little fuzzy to me, but like more people. Now that's something that I can work with because specifically growing up, I was afraid of everyone. I was afraid of everyone. I was very pessimistic. Mm-hmm. I always sort of would assume the bad. I would assume that people didn't like me. I would assume that they would hurt me. I would assume that they would reject me. And so thinking about, wait a minute, like this isn't actually trying to get them to like me. It's actually, how can I find a way to like them? That was something that was very specific. So now in the last few years, a lot of what I do when I talk about likability is finding ways that you yourself can actually find something attractive about someone else. This is interesting because when I was in middle school, not the greatest years of anyone's life, probably. Even the cool kids in middle school are like, oh, that was so awful. (laughs) But when I went to high school, I had started lifting weights in middle school and started to become a really good athlete in high school. And then you know how you get to reinvent yourself in high school? I kind of pulled the trigger on not only am I going to be a good athlete, but I'm also going to be like one of the smart geeky kids. And so I managed to straddle the fence between those worlds, which in high school works for the first time in your entire life. Yes, yes. And it was an accident. It wasn't some grand plan. But it does make sense that you have to like the most amount of people because I decided it's cool to like the nerdy, geeky people now because I'm in that world. But also I have to like my teammates and all my teammates' friends and all the other people on the sports teams because I'm on the team too. I'm not just going to dislike all these other folks. So I ended up with this great number of people that I liked I still had the self-worth issues where I was like, they're going to figure out For I'm sure. not one of the cool kids like yeah, the imposter yeah. syndrome. But later on, towards the end of high school, 
you know, and you do the yearbook thing yep. and all that stuff. I found out like, wow, a lot of people really like me that I'm surprised even yes. knew who I was. Yes. And so in a way, when you hit high school and you had these two interests that emerged, your amount of people that you liked doubled. Right. right? Yeah, like, sure. Easily. Easily, or at least. And so all of a sudden you're liking all these people because it's okay for you to like them, right? It's okay to like the nerds or whatever. And it's yeah. okay to like the jocks. That also made it then okay for them to like you. And so what they found was, is the smile and nod in the hallway was actually a very important indicator of popularity. So the smiles mm -hmm. were recognition smiles. They were not suck up smiles. They were not, I'm happy all the time smiles. They were specifically like, hey, how are you? Mm -hmm. That was what indicated popularity. And that to me, I was like, okay, like now we're talking. What's interesting about that also is it matched our Shark Tank research. Shark so, Tank research. Yes. So I love Shark Tank. Yeah. And I was like, what are the body language patterns in Shark Tank? You know, what can we look at? So I had one of my research, Jose Pina, looked at 497, all of the pitches <laughs> on Shark Tank. Wow. Oh, he had watched a lot of Shark Tank. He watched Dang. a lot of Shark Tank. So he analyzed all of the pitches, 495 or 97 of them, and looked for body language patterns. And what we found was the successful entrepreneurs typically walked down that hallway, the doors opened, and they would take their place in the carpet. And usually they would smile and nod at one or two of the sharks. And we found that that somehow it indicates a kind of congeniality. It like hooks that shark in, not every time, but inevitably, usually those were one of the last, they were one of the sharks to make an offer or one of the last sharks to go out. And I was like, this is the same thing as a science popularity article. In a way, if I, if I were to see you and be like, hey, right, and smile and nod at you, I'm saying like, I see you, I hear you, you're my friend. It happens in Shark Tank, it happens in high school. It's a very kind of easy thing to think about, I think. So then you would be well served if you're trying to persuade a group of people to look for the person who's going to be most receptive to also liking you back. For example, on Shark Tank, Cuban will still be like, oh, I liked you for a second. I'm still out. Your idea sucks and you're a fraudster and I hate everything about you. <laughs> I love when he does that. <laughs> right? I love when he does that. Same with uh, Mr. Wonderful, for example. But you could probably really get away with doing that with Robert Hershevet because he just feels bad even if he hates your product and yes. he invests in stuff. That and he, he totally, will give his money yeah, to you. He'll be like, here's 300 grand because I don't want you to feel bad about yourself. A hundred percent. So I think of it a little differently. It may be a little bit more of a positive way. That's like a <laughs> terrible way to say it. But okay, yeah. so I think of it like, who is the person in this group or in this room who's most likely to go grab a coffee with me? Yeah, sure. Like, so I got, have gotten in the habit, like at conferences or at parties, I would go and sort of be like, oh, like what's my opening line? Like, what do I say? Where do I stand? And what I found is, is that if I could find someone who I felt comfortable saying, hey, you want to go eat something or grab something from the bar? That was actually the best way for me to show liking. So now I'm the person at every conference who's like, hey, come sit with me. Hey, do you want to sit here? Like I used to be, you know, like when you're getting a meal at a conference, people are like wandering around the tables, like looking for somewhere to sit. It is the same thing in the cafeteria. So I now will say, hey, are you looking for a seat? Come sit with me. Come mm -hmm. join us. Make eye contact with people who look lost. Yes. That's an easy one. So like I have made that my mission. I have made more friends that way, more contacts that way than just trying to cold approach someone. I agree with that. One of the networking tips on Art of Charm that we're constantly giving is the more people you can rescue at a mixer or a conference, the more you're going to have essentially your little tribe. Because yes. if you meet people at a conference, it's their first year there and you say, hey, we're doing dinner tonight. Do you want to come? You can have dinner with 35 That's freaking right. people. You're the leader of that group and it stays that way for years and years. Yeah. Same thing with speakers at events. If they're like, I'm in Malibu at this event and I've never been here. And you go, look, me and some of the other speakers are going to go grab something or me and some of the Art of Charm fans, do you want to come with us? They'd love to meet you. They're just like, good. I don't have to go back to my hotel and watch CNN for three yes. extra hours. 
And there's also some practical tools here is one thing you should always know, always when you go to events, is you should always know the best coffee in the area. Yeah, there you go. But if you say to someone, hey, like there's a really good coffee place. It's like three blocks away. It's better than the Starbucks in this joint. Like, do you want to go get some? Almost always people will be like, oh, really? And you're like, yeah, it's really good. So know the best coffee place in the area. Um, Yelp can help with that, by the way. Fake it. (laughs) Or you could say, Jordan, I saw that on Yelp, this place Uh, got high ratings. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, Yeah. you could do that. (laughs) Back to the original theme of authenticity. (laughs) Thank you. Got it. You're like, just lie about it. I'm learning so much right now. (laughs) (laughs) I do human lie detection, Jordan, so I try not to encourage people to just like totally fake it. Yeah, no. By fake it, I just mean you can go somewhere with it that you haven't been before. I think a lot of people, when they're networking or doing any kind of relationship development, they feel the sense of imposter syndrome when they first start, which is going up to your last example of meeting somebody or looking someone in the eye and inviting them to sit with you. A lot of people are afraid to be the person who says... Why don't we all go get lunch right now? Because they don't want them to go, well, we already ate. And then it's like, damn it, I knew I shouldn't have said that. And you pull the Chris Farley facepalm type thing. It's happened to me multiple times where I'll say, hey, do you want to get coffee? And they're like, oh, I already got coffee. But and almost always, we like to be liked, right? We like to be invited places. So remember that that is actually a gift just asking someone that. And so oftentimes they might say no, but like, You've just gained an ally. Yeah, there's reciprocity there. Yeah, for sure. So know the best coffee places. Uh, Know the hidden lunch spots. Openness is one of the five personality traits. And I'm a very high open person. I like trying new things. I like adventure. I like people who are also high open. So my best friends, my husband, like people who are close to me are high open. So I try to attract that by also appealing to that part of their personality. So I will say, hey, like I read there's this secret taco spot um, Mm. about a mile away. I have no idea if it's even going to be good. Do you have any desire to like adventure with me over lunch? The right people will say yes. Mm-hmm. But people who are like, oh, I, I don't know. Secret like, tacos Uber. sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people do say no to that. Yeah. And I'm okay with that because the people who are like, oh, what? Secret tacos. I'm like, you're my person. Yeah. Right? Like, you're my person. We're going to have better conversation. We're going to get along way better. So I actually use it as a measure of how I'm going to get along with someone. I think that really helps. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the Did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort Thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. One of the things that Jenny and I do, or Art of Charm folks and I do at conferences, for example, it, you know what escape rooms are? Yes, I love escape rooms. So we love high open people. Yes. This is not escape room. Thing. Yes. So Jenny and I are obsessed with this. Jenny's my wife. We're, we've done almost a hundred of these things. We'll go to a conference in another city and we, she always wants to try the new games. And so what we do instead of going, does everybody want to go to dinner and then sit awkwardly at opposite ends of a 13 yes. foot table yes. and not talk? We just go, look, let's go get some food and then go to the, this escape room. And some people go, nah, I'm good. I'll be at the bar. And you go, fine. That's that, not your person. That's not your person. Or it's the person that's not anyway. going to be right in the mix. They, don't, they shouldn't be at your dinner anyway. Right. So I think that having um, those kinds of things in your back pocket, and I do this in new cities. I do this in my city. Like I try to have that because I think that it's also you attract your people. And this, I think, works really well with dating as well. So like with dating... I know that you want to be open, but you, there's personality traits that go better together. So like high open people tend to do better with high open people. The reason for that is because if you're high open and you marry or are with a low open person, you constantly feel held back. You're always stuck in their routine, which is inside their comfort zone. If you're a low open person who's with a high open person, you constantly feel like you're not good enough because they are constantly asking you to do things. And so that is a very hard personality trait Sure. in opposites. Another one that's hard for opposites is conscientiousness. So conscientiousness is attention to detail, routine, scheduling. Like I'm very high in conscientiousness. Mm. Alphabetizing gives me an adrenaline rush. I like to-do lists yeah. is like a hobby uh, that I like list. Sure. And so I'm high in conscientiousness. 
I do really well with other people who are high in conscientiousness. When I send proposals out, I make them very detail-oriented. I have lots of lists and bullets. Yeah, your show prep is, is a show. work of art right here. <laughs> it's all formatted perfectly. Yes. And I also love gold stars. So like I, I, like, yeah. love, I love that. Accolades. Yes, and like yeah. I did like my research for you. Like I made a little note list. I know that that will appeal to someone who appreciates that. And so I'm able to work with people that helps us build a faster relationship. Those are ones that like you always kind of want to look for someone who's kind of your match. The opposite one is neuroticism. So neuroticism is one of the five personality traits. And gosh, it's like a dirty word. Whenever I ask you, like, yeah. are you high neurotic? Probably. Like, like, <laughs> and, like people are always like, I don't want to tell you. Like yeah. they get like really like awkward about it. So neuroticism. They're neurotic. That's why. <laughs> that's how I know. Yes, right? that's, that's how you that's know. How I know. Um, so neuroticism is, is not a bad trait. It is our emotional stability. It's how reactive we are to external circumstances. And what's interesting about neuroticism is high neurotics, most of them carry a long form of a certain gene. And this is the serotonin transport gene. So not to get too technical, but serotonin is the chemical that makes us feel calm. So it um, calms us down. It makes us feel okay in the world. If we almost get into a car accident, someone almost hits us, we get adrenaline, we get cortisol. And then what when we calm, oh, we're fine. Whew, we're okay. That's actually serotonin trying to get us back to normal. Neurotics produce less serotonin and transport it most more slowly. So when they almost get into a car accident, it actually takes them longer to calm down because chemically, physically, they do not have all the resources they need to calm down. So what happens in a marriage or in a partnership or in a friendship is the high neurotic is like, oh my God, that was horrible. And the low neurotic is like, it's all good. Like, mm-hmm. we're fine. Never say calm down. Never say calm down. Never tell a high neurotic, it'll all be okay. I'm trying to calm down, but the transport of my serotonin is taking longer than I expected. <laughs> this is exactly what I say. This is exactly what I say, because I'm also a high neurotic. I share this because for those of you who are low neurotics, you need to understand that we're actually talking about a chemical difference in our reactions. Okay. So in that case, sometimes it's actually better to be opposite. The reason for this is, is a high neurotic is very, very good at what-if scenarios. They're very good at preventing problems from happening. They think through all potential. They worry a lot. Right, sure. Right, like I think of like every backup plan to a backup plan to a backup plan, which means that I very rarely have huge crises or problems. But a low neurotic is great in a crisis. So they're the ones who are the nice, level-headed people. They're the rock. They're calm. So it's actually really helpful. You have really nice relationships, business as well as romantic, when you can have both because if you have someone who's preventing the crisis, someone who's good in a crisis, you're covered. Perfect, right. Somebody will have their head on yeah. straight both before, during, and after Yeah, if you're both low neurotic, and research has found that two low neurotics in a relationship are more likely to be in financial debt. That makes perfect sense right. because nobody's thinking, what if this doesn't work out the way we expect? <laughs> exactly. Right? They're like, oh, we don't need to save for that. It'll all be fine. Mm-hmm. And me as a high neurotic is like, are you crazy? Yeah. We got to have a college fund for our kid that doesn't exist, right? Yeah, like, yeah, right. like, in case I have a child, right. right? Like, it's like that. So I think that that's an opposite one. So you don't always have to be the same. In fact, there is a lot of beauty and differences, but I, there, you have to pick your traits, I think, carefully. That one could cause a lot of friction in a relationship for a long time. If you don't understand the mechanics of it. So like my husband's a low neurotic, I'm a high neurotic. I leverage that for the strengths it provides. I know he is my rock. I know that if I'm feeling really worried or nervous, I can talk through because he's so calm, right? He won't get upset with me. Whereas like my high neurotic friends, I know that I cannot call them when I'm worried. They will make me more worried. Right. They like (laughs) hype me up even more. Yeah. So like I think that it can be very detrimental for a relationship if you don't know how to make it work. Okay, so let's say that you uh, wish that you had the same level of conscientiousness, but you're just not. 
having the same battle over and over again about who's going to do the dry cleaning or who's going to do the laundry or the routine that is being messed up, you're going to have that fight for the rest of your life. You cannot change someone's personality orientation. You just can't. Our personality is 35 to 55% genetic, and the rest of it is formed usually in our childhood. It's very rare that it changes. The only personality traits that change with age is that women tend to get more extroverted and men tend to get more open. That's with age over a lifetime. So who you married or who you're with, if that's their personality trait and you keep trying to change it. Yeah, don't bother waiting it out. Never yeah, going to happen. It's like banging your head against the wall. What you're more likely to better to do is to say, okay, this is their orientation. How can I work around this or with this? And I really believe in relationships and outsourcing. So like, I know that I'm much better at certain things than my husband. He is way better than me. Like, for example, he's really good at travel booking. Jen books all my stuff. Cause I can't eat. I'm like, oh, I bought the flight for the wrong day. <laughs> That's me. That is totally me. So like, even though he is lower in conscientiousness than me, he is so much better at that than me. Hmm. Whereas like, I'm pretty good at like house stuff, making sure like the garden is taken care of, like making sure there's food in the fridge. Like that is like a cake to me. Whereas booking flights, bill paying, that is not my thing. So we've uh. outsourced where our conscientiousness natural strengths are. So it's totally okay if you're different. But like, don't play against the strengths, play with them. What does he do for work? He's in finance. Oh, okay. Finance well, marketing. He uh, does marketing for a bank. Gotcha. I was just wondering if he was also studying human behavior or just hearing a lot about <laughs> he it. He kind of has to. Yeah. I also, I have the kind of household, I feel bad for him sometimes. Like I always have experiments running, like including on him. <laughs> he just never knows what he's coming home to. I'm, we're very high open. So like, it's always an adventure in our house. He never knows what I'm going to be trying when he gets home. So he'll just walk in and you're like, I knew you were going to go to the refrigerator. Yeah. I knew you were going to get a banana. Yes. Sometimes I try to predict his food habits to see if I can predict them before he knows them. Right. <laughs> Marginally useful to the yeah, public. It's useful. <laughs> yeah, to know my husband's food tastes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or anyone's for that matter. Although, hey, look, if you can get the science behind what people want to eat before they know it. Hey, you've that would got be a good to, app. Yeah, if there's an app for that. There will be an app for that. <laughs> we talked at pre-show about indicators of interest and in yes. looking to see if people were going to be interested in you and things like that. And we use this a lot at Art of Charm, especially in our live programs. It's like, how do you know if somebody wants to start a conversation with you? Those people are naturally more receptive to you starting a conversation with them. Yeah. Indicators of interest, for me, the first thing that comes to mind is proximity. Is somebody mm. close to you breaking psychological space for a reason that maybe doesn't quite make sense on its face? Like, you dropped your pen, but it went four feet in my direction. That's weird. <laughs> Indicator of that interest. Happen? Indicator of interest, yes. So it's funny. That is right. I think those are our indicators of interest. What I was thinking when I was, the way I use that term is I think, and I learned this from my business first, and then I realized it was actually very helpful in, in the dating world and in friendship as well, is that when I first started writing for my blog, I was writing to appeal to everyone, right? Like I was taking a very science journalist perspective. I tried to make like really just like everyone would like it. It wouldn't offend anyone. It would be interesting for everyone. Well, the problem is, yeah, exactly, exactly. No one liked it, right? I had a lot of ambivalent readers, like people who would read it, but like not sign up to a newsletter, not comment, mm. not take any action. Very like few avid readers. And so when I started to put indicators of interest into my content, like this is either for you or this is not for you. Body language, there's also indicators of interest. I actually was thinking of it in terms of like verbal indicators. So for example, on a dating profile, you are better off, I think, instead of trying to appeal to every fish in the sea, I think you're better off actually turning off 90% of fishes to get like the 10% of amazing ones. Right. We've talked about this in the past on the show and... A lot of people have different ways of doing this ah. and some ways are awful in my opinion, <laughs> okay. um, but I, I totally agree with this, right? Because if you're trying to cast a wide net, it makes you a little bit vanilla. Yeah. And I also think energy is limited. 
our mental space, it's not infinite. And so if you are going on two or three dates a week and they're all kind of ambivalent, right? Like you're like, yeah, like the enemy in dating is not going on bad dates. It's going on ambivalent ones. If you go on an ambivalent date where you're like, this could work, Mm. like I could see it. Those are the most dangerous kind of relationships because they're the ones that drag on for weeks and months. And you're like... Well, these are the know. ones that you hear about where it's like, you were engaged and now you're not engaged? Yes. What happened? And it's because yes. somebody finally went, I just can't do this. Exactly. So I, that is, I think, what I'm talking about here is if you do not have indicators of interest, like polarizing ones, like flat out almost offensive ones, like you should be offending some people. <laughs> Those are the kind of indicators of interest I'm talking okay. about. Then you are more likely to waste your time on ambivalent relationships that will suck up the energy before you can find the right one. So for example, like if you have deal breakers, I think you should say them in a nice way. Okay. Like why would you be hiding a deal breaker if you know that it's there? I guess I'm imagining what some people that I think are a little bit maybe more juvenile are doing to screen people out where they'll write things like no redheads. And it's well, like, what are you doing, man? You know what though? It's such a superficial disqualifier. It is such a superficial disqualifier. But if you know that like you can't get it up when there's a redhead there, like <laughs> True. Wh- well, why, hey, why look, wouldn't you, you say if that? If that's the problem, I feel like right? there's another issue involved. Well, but yeah, 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 maybe. Okay, Put it yes. in your, but by all means, broadcast <laughs> that in your profile to the rest of the world. And I love redheads. I love just redheads. For the record. Just for the record. Here's an example of one. Vegan. Okay? Okay, that's important. Okay? That's one where I think if you are vegan, you're like, do I say this up front or do I wait? No, say it. Like, are you crazy? Or you do not want to date a vegan because you are a meat lover. Say that, right? Like, say, like, I am a huge bacon fan. Like, if you don't like bacon with me every single morning, don't even bother to contact me. If eating bacon in the morning is wrong, I don't want to be right. (laughs) Exactly. I think we should be more forthright with those because otherwise you get on date three and all of a sudden, you know, you realize, oh, wow, like, she really is is like not going to ever eat a steak with me. And if that's important to you, now, hopefully that is not the most important thing for you. But if, if that is something that's important to you, like that should be on there. I think that dietary stuff is super important because so it, much. it's not just, oh, well, you know, when I eat dairy, I don't process it well. You know, raise your hand if you're one of those like lactose intolerant <laughs> people, there's a million. Yeah. But if it's I'm vegan because I'm super sensitive about yes. the way animals are treated and I think about the environment a lot and the other person you're dating is like, I don't care. I'm just wanting to make money because I work at a, you know investment bank yeah. or something like that. You're going to run into issues elsewhere, not just at restaurants. Yes. Right? This is going to be friction. So here are a couple of things that I think are like very small but actually matter long-term, like for long-term happiness. So dietary, yeah, like what you eat, how you eat. Morning or night person. In a relationship, it can be really hard if you have someone who's the opposite as you because you're constantly fighting at bedtime and wake-up time, constantly. And that will never change, right? Usually, if you're in morning or night, it doesn't change over a lifetime. Another one is what you do to relax. And I don't mean like, what do you do to have fun? That, that's a different question. You like, mean introvert versus extroverted personalities and relaxation? You have the night and you want to recover from a really hard week. What do you do? Okay. That piece, like some people are like, oh, like order in, watch a movie, hang out on the couch. Like that's the ideal thing. Other people are like, go out and party, like forget about my problems. Well, you're going to have a problem, my friend. Like this is exactly what I meant by introverted ah, versus extroverted. So introverted people doesn't mean you have a medical excuse not to be social. It just means that your me time is how you recharge versus somebody who's naturally extroverted says, I need to get out of the house and go do something and be around friends and people because that's how they recharge. 
if you don't want to hang out with each other during your downtime because their idea of relaxing to you is completely exhausting, you're going to have issues. And so I'm an ambivert. So like I flip between the two and I, most people from our studies are ambiverts. There's also this aspect of like, okay, maybe you're both ambiverts. Where do you recharge? So like certain ambiverts, like for example, loud concerts, loud bars, nightclubs, oh, like they drain me so fast. However, I love like dinner parties. I love going to barbecues. So like my thrive locations are different. That also makes a difference of like, maybe it's a couple people, but like, is it a couple people in a loud nightclub or is it like going to concerts every weekend? Those are really good early questions. Like, I think I get those out of the way real early. Don't wait till you live together to find that out. Right. And if you live together and you find that out, then definitely don't get hitched thinking, I'm going to work on it. It's going to be fine. She'll change. Like, it it will not. Good luck with that. That's every email in my inbox that has a divorce in it starts with, I should have seen it coming, no. but oh. dot, 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 three paragraphs you get those later. Emails? All the time. And I'm not laughing at it at all. No, it's tragic. It's horrible. This person's not just going, we had a good run. It was great. I'm moving on. It's usually, damn it. I just, I knew it and I didn't listen to it and I didn't do anything about it. Or of course, there's other reasons like I knew it, but I didn't think I could get somebody else that was equally X, Y, Z in certain and that is And that is ambivalence. Being in a relationship where you're like, yeah, it's pretty good. Could I do better? I don't know. I don't You're know. asking yourself, could I do better? You have a problem, right? Like same thing with a job too, by the way, I think. Like if you're constantly thinking that. However, though, I want to qualify this. I think a lot of people conflate or confuse, can I do better with, is what I thought important to me still important to me? So for example, yeah. a lot of times guys go, so did you always date Asian women? And I'm like, no, I've never done that before. And they're like, well, are you sure that's you know, going to be compatible with you. And I thought, I just don't care about that. Like all of the, yeah, I like tall women that are blonde, like all those things I thought were mildly or super important. Uh, Not that I thought being a tall blonde was important, but a lot of the things I thought about- On your list. Cultural, need to be somebody who's also in this culture or born in in this place or none of that mattered. I found other things I didn't even know existed that mattered more. So your values do restructure over time. You just have to be really careful not to go- oh, my values restructured because I can't get what I want. Or my values restructured because this is what I find myself dealing with right now. It has to be restructured because you've thought good and hard about it and you realize this is less important to you and this is more important to you. Because I don't want guys to go, crap, I'm always thinking about, can I do better when I'm dating? Because men will never not probably think that (laughs) for at least a minute. (laughs) And I don't want guys being like, I need to break up with my fiance now because I I had a dream last night that I... Dated somebody from that a different is a very, very good distinction. And remember that people look really different from their checklist. Yeah. And the checklist, the deal breakers checklist, we've probably talked about on other shows as yeah. well, but people do always look very different from their checklist. And the checklist should be open to interpretation, except in the areas of your core values, which we can go down yes. that road. But so time. I think that like looking at those and having indicators of the places where you really feel really strong about, we should be stating those up front as much as possible. That is going to, I think, get rid of the fluff of those ambivalent. What about the science of romantic attraction and social attraction as differentiated in your work? Yeah, so there's actually very little difference. And so I talk constantly about business crushes, social crushes, romantic crushes. And I think that we need to start thinking about attraction in professional settings. We try to separate that out. And I I don't mean like physical attraction. I mean like a magnetic desire to be with someone, a a magnetic desire to incorporate an idea. I think that the more we can think about that in uh, in social relationships and business relationships, that I think brings a lot of spice to life. There's very little difference between attraction for professional versus social or romantic relationships. What about the blind date research that you've done? 
recently. Yeah. Okay. So one of the research experiments we did is I was looking, you know, blind date, classic, like especially the 80s, the 90s version was so good. And I was like, I wonder if there's like a way to predict success of a blind date just by the first few minutes. Again, we talk about first impression all the time. So I had one of my researchers, Robbie Smith, analyze a hundred, like a random sampling of a hundred blind date episodes. So <laughs> the TV show, the TV show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> For lack of a better why not? Of data. Right. I was like, I was like, let's just see. Like, let's just see. Like, these are people who have like, for some way, they've been vetted to be together. Like, either for awful reasons or terrible right, or good reasons. Right. Like, what is there any prediction here of what's going to predict a successful date or not? Because it's, I think it's similar to being set up. And that's what we happen happens all the time. So he analyzed a hundred different dates and there was a couple different interesting patterns. So one was that the more touch there was in the first two minutes seemed to break the physical barrier much faster and sure. seemed to be a have a more successful date, which is oxytocin. Okay. That wouldn't make sense. Physical escalation, standard <laughs> operating procedure. There, and, and I know that you guys talk about this, but there's something about that friend versus foe question that happens. So for women, especially, we are constantly trying to figure out, are we safe with this person? And we don't necessarily consciously realize that, but that's what we're trying to assess at all times. So if there is no touch within the first few minutes, the friend or foe question just lingers for us. Like it isn't answered for a really long time. So that initial touch is those first two minutes. That's the only opportunity you have to make an initial first touch until the very end of the date. Right. And then you've got that whole pressure. And the decision, of course, has already been made in her mind. Like I'm not letting this person. Already made. And I was actually talking to a friend about this who's dating right now. And I was saying, you know, women can usually guess if a guy is going to be a good kisser or bad in bed. He was like, how? And I was like, their walk. Yeah, the walk. That's so funny. I was going to say the walk. Exactly. It is the walk. And like, and he made me show him examples of men on YouTube walking in a good way and a bad way. And I think that hip tension and things like that, stiffness, hip tension, um, not enough variability of movement. I think that's what we're talking about. It's like, oh, could there be movement? And it's the same thing with touch. It's like if you reach out and touch the forearm or put the hand on the lower back, there is a variability of touch there of like, oh, like we're okay. And then you get that nice chemical oxytocin burst and it's good. Yeah, we've seen differences in touch from fingertips, palm of the hand, full arm, like basically the more contact. Yeah. And I'm very careful with this because I don't want guys to be like, assaulting people (laughs) right on the the street. Please don't. But it has to do with the amount of contact. It doesn't even have to be skin on skin. It can be just clothing, everything. It has to do with the way that you guide someone else's body, how confident you are when you do that, which is one of the reasons dancing Uh, is such a precursor to... Yeah. The addition that I will add here is your touch is only part one of what's important. Part two is her reaction to it. Let's say that you, you know, make a touch and like it doesn't go well. That actually tells you a lot about the person. For example, so if she pulls her arm away, uh, if she makes a grimace or a contempt microexpression, if she doesn't like lean into the touch, that actually, it's a very different kind of date. The questions that you're going to try to do are going to be more safety, security, comfort-based questions, right? So you're going to try to assure her that you are someone who is a good match for her, that you want to have a good time, that she's comfortable. If she leans into the touch, okay, we're talking more adventurous now, right? Then you can go into like ideal trips and vacations and more exotic things. So that actually tells you a lot about how the date can go. It's never a deal breaker. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. A lot of this stuff has to do with expectations as well. One of the ways which you can make somebody feel safe, especially in a dating scenario, is to talk about how your logistics prevent something potentially high pressure from happening at the end of the date. So one of the ways, when I used to sense that when I was dating, if I sense any issue with physical escalation in the beginning, I would say something like, I just want to keep an eye on the time because at nine, I have to go to my friend's house and handle something. That way they're like, oh, good. Okay. Mm. He's going to his friend's house. I'm not going to get like set up to go up to his apartment or something like that. And then they just kind of go, oh, good. This has a final stopping time. Of course, saying you have to go to your friend's house kind of says. Social proof. I don't have have, friends. Yeah. I'm not a serial killer who lives with his mom in the basement. So that would be the perfect thing to bring up if the touch didn't go well. Right. Touch is never going to be a deal breaker, especially if you're staying like in the hand arm region. I would bring that up real quick. You can do it even before the touch if you need to. 100%. It can be the first thing you say because yeah. worst case scenario, it's like, do you have to go to your friend's house later? Right? Like exactly. if everything does go well. And then you go, just kidding. I don't have any friends. <laughs> I live <laughs> yeah. in the basement. Screw them. Yeah. I, don't, I don't need to see those people. Exactly. Forget about them. So you can handle it logistically. I'm very careful again with this stuff because the last thing we want to do is give a how-to manual for no. people who are going to take advantage of this stuff. Yeah. It's also like, it's a way of taking down your anxiety and her anxiety. So I actually don't see it as a trick or a manipulation thing. I actually see it as a way of like testing the waters so that you can have a better relationship. Like if the touch doesn't go well, okay. Like you learn something, maybe the first impression go great. And you're trying to make it comfortable and it's not working. Great. You have a shorter date, you know, that isn't for you and you end it. So I actually think just a way of speeding up an interaction to see is this really going to work or not. That's how I look at it. It's always good to get it done a little bit early and get always. it done, I mean, by qualify or disqualify somebody. Because yes. the, the worst thing is when you're going out Ugh. with somebody and you're on date number five and you're like, I just hate every minute of this. Ugh. Why am I still here? Yes. And the last one for the blind date thing that I wanted to mention was I noticed that the biggest predicted success was when the men showed up and acted like they were greeting an old friend. So warmth? Is that what we're looking yeah, at? Yeah. And like, there wasn't any thing like super specific that I could point to, but there was this feeling of like, oh, they must have already met. Now, I don't know if they actually did or any meet. I don't think so. But like if you greet someone, and I think this is for both men and women, if you greet someone like they're an old friend, even if you've met them for the first time, having that in your mind sets up the expectation that you want to be old friends. The Pygmalion effect has been proven. You did that outside. Yes. Tricky little... (laughs) I do think we're old friends. We are, we are. We are old friends. It counts. I think that like that sets up the Pygmalion effect. The science is quite clear that when you expect someone to be a good friend, they often end up being a good friend. So physically, it all sets that up too. I ran an experiment with this very thing, except without nonverbal communication necessarily being the focus. I actually tried, and this is years ago, and it sounds so dorky now, but (laughs) I tried years ago just saying, you know, I really click with you. I feel like we've known each other for a really long time. And then even if they're like, well, I'm on the fence about that. <laughs> they still might say something like, just to be polite, they'll often go, yeah, yeah, it's cool. And then they start to look for reasons to rationalize yes. it. And then a disproportionate number of those people did actually become really close friends. I remember years later having conversations with many of them and going, yeah, you know, remember when we first hung out? And they're like, yeah, and you said we were like old friends. And I was like, did you really believe that? And they're like, no, but I'm glad we're friends now. And I'm like, I didn't either. I was just testing. And they're like, you son of a bitch. (laughs) But it makes perfect sense because you act as if. Yeah, and that's liking. That original principle we talked about, about liking more people, that is what that is. When you say that, you're saying like, I like you. I like you a lot. That's exactly using the science of personality. It's an interesting and also 
clunky way to do it, <laughs> which is probably why I haven't talked about it much yeah. in the last decade. But, but it's an interesting but it concept works. to think about. And also, you don't have to say it. You could just act it. You can act it, yeah. Right? And, like, greet people that way and talk to them as if they're an old friend instead of being, like, on a weird first date interview, which is, like, awful. The only hiccup with this is that it requires vulnerability. Because Very if much. you're not going to act as if and be vulnerable and be open like you would with an old friend, you're kind of just going through the awkward, fake motions of pretending you Agreed. have friends. And if, if you feel like you can't go out and even like attempt that, I don't think it's worth doing it. Yeah, you have to have an element of warmth that you're either able to turn on convincingly yeah. so that you don't look like a used car salesman <laughs> yeah. or actually be a person who's really good at being open kind of at the drop right. of a hat, which right. for me personally is actually kind of tricky. Usually the positive reinforcement you get from even a little bit of vulnerability is worth it. It is worth it, but it's a, it's a lesson that at least for me, I have to keep learning because I'm not naturally a very warm at least very upfront, warm person. And that just comes from only child-isms or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Tell me about the oh, hot or not one. stuff you got going on Okay, here. so this white paper is not out yet. You just so had that, this. this is a warm notepad. <laughs> this it's is been a warm notepad. It's under been under there. my butt. So I've been sitting on it because there was nowhere to put it. Okay, so we did a study on hot or not. And literally the hot or not photos on hotornot.com. We took a random sampling. Uh, I think we had over 400 photos. And we looked at patterns compared to their scores. Okay. So I wanted to know what was it about the hottest women, the women who got, I think on Hot or Not, it's one to five ranking. So what are the women who are in the four range versus the men who are in the four range versus the women who are in the low range? I think I used that website in the 90s, and I'm just wondering if my photo is still on there floating around. No, no. It was with my, yeah, looking much younger and much more in shape, I would imagine. Um, I think I used, I think everyone put it up in like 10th grade. I don't know, like it was like the cool website, and you had to put it up and then be like, you'd be like, tell your friends, be like, vote for me really hot. Yeah, vote vote me up. Otherwise, yeah, my self esteem is going to take a hit for 20 years. Maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> okay, continue. so seven patterns. I hope at home you can play with us, and Jordan is going to be, the, you have to be the one who guesses. Okay, ready? Okay. Skin or no skin? You are guessing if the hottest men and women showed more skin or showed less skin. Uh, more skin for women especially. Okay, so you are actually incorrect. What? Were, I know. Really? We so get this. Men get such a bad rap for wanting to see women with skin. Actually, the hottest women did not show skin, but the hottest men did. That is totally it's, shocking. It's, I was like, I asked my researchers, I was like, no, like this cannot be right. Like we got to go back and like, yeah. look at this. So the men who had their shirts off, who had low cut shirts, who were like in a towel, those were the hottest men by far. But the women who showed a lot of cleavage, showed a lot of leg, nope, they did not. Really? The hottest, or the hottest women did not show a lot of skin. I suppose it maybe makes sense in the way that a lot of women who are trying to show extra skin are maybe making up for a deficiency in other areas. I think that is exactly what's happening. And I think that also looking at some of the actual photos, a lot of the women who were showing a lot of skin were showing less face. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a problem. Like like just their mouth. Because we get we get when you do that. Like, <laughs> hey, this is the left side of my face. What's happening right What's now? What's happening on the right side? Where's your eye patch? <laughs> that's exactly. Yeah. So, do not worry for women listening and for men. A little skin might not be a bad idea. Okay. All right, next one. So, looking at pictures of both men and women, what was the biggest buzzkill prop? So there was one item that when People had it in their photo. No hot people had this prop in their photos. Money? Nope. And it's definitely not an animal. I feel like it's not an animal. Animals there were dogs. Be, in the, no, dogs went well. Dogs, dogs went, went well, well, right? Mm-hmm. Those tests well. Buzzkill prop. I mean, a phone. So headphones didn't make a difference. Headphones did not. Headphones did not. So like we looked at actually pictures that had headphones. Those did not affect What about score. like an actual phone, like selfie yeah. style bathroom? Most people crack. were, bathroom was a terrible context. That was a context killer. The prop that actually affected the score the most was sunglasses. 
Oh, that makes total sense. Right. And like, what's interesting about this, is that makes logical sense, but so many people had it in their picture because you're out, you're at the beach. Take- well, you feel like you look cool, but the yeah. problem is we're not trying to look impenetrable. We're trying to look open and inviting. Exactly. And- and no we, eye contact. we get oxytocin from even looking at video eye contact, sure. photo eye contact. So sunglasses are killer. Make sure you do not have sunglasses in your profile picture. And headphones are okay. You can totally be in So there. headphones, towel with no shirt. Good. No yeah, sunglasses. Love it. <laughs> love it. Exactly. All right. Which angle was best? So there was one angle that did not work and there was an angle that worked. It was like, is it like above? Is it below? Is it to the side? Is it profile picture? I don't know. I mean, straight on would be a good angle You're for right. being open environment. That's right. That's yeah. exact. So that's fronting, right? So right. we talk about fronting. It's We love to see someone straight on. And also mm-hmm. research out of the University of Brussels found that the angle of your photo affects people's perceptions of you. So for example, when we look at someone up so that we hold the camera down, mm-hmm. They look more charismatic, the double chin taller, angle. the double chin <laughs> angle. And if you can pull off that without the double chin, it actually is works really well because we as children looked up at adults that we admired. So we actually, we like to look up at people. You'll notice a lot of celebrities in their IMDb photos, they have the angle up at them because it makes them look really tall, huh. really charismatic. Looking down makes you look vulnerable, makes you look a little bit weaker. It can be a submissive way of doing a photo. So those are not bad or worse, but they send off very, very different signals. When I was helping a couple of athletic female friends of mine do profile (laughs) photos, we had them do the top-down angle because they were like six foot one. That's the perfect example because they wanted to sort of tone it down, Mm -hmm. right? They they have an alphaism about them, but they don't want that to be the first and foremost thing. Front on is best. And then the angle of the camera is depending on your brand, what signals you want to send off. All right. Next one. What was the best context? So I gave away already the not bathroom, bathroom. wasn't not bathroom. Right. You know that one. Huh. I don't know. Outdoors or and something? Then, yes, you got it. Yeah. So by far, any kind of outside context was best. There were so many bathroom photos. It was insane. Yeah, that's just weird to me. Oh my God, insane. And we've all seen the one where there's like a turd in the background, <laughs> so gross. right? I knew you yeah. were gonna I knew you were gonna say that. I had to. You had to. Because they were thinking it. Yeah, yeah. Not that one. Right. So outdoors is really good, but without sunglasses. This is a caveat. If you're going to be outdoors, take off your Just be all squinty in your towel no, and headphones. Just, just <laughs> smize. Just smize. Smize. You're like, yes. take off your shirt. Smize. Throw Don't on, have sunglasses. Throw on some headphones. <laughs> yeah. Oil good. yourself up a little bit. That's going to be good for you. Right. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Here's the big one I get. Smile or not smiling? Smiling. So actually, a closed mouth smile was the worst thing you could do. So the serial killer smile, the serial killer smile, or like the like I'm being casual, so I'm just smiling so the, small. The smug one, the smug one. So yeah. for men, the, the best picture was actually neutral face. So neutral faces actually did better for men than like full on smiling, and they did w- way better than closed mouth smiling. So neutral or big smile, don't go in between, right? Neutral so, or big smile yeah. as a man, as a man, yes, okay. exactly. So if you're gonna do it, do it. Right. Like, don't like give like the little, like, I'm cool, casual smile. Like, what's up? Yeah. The guns. The no gu- guns. None of that. Right. So either like smile, go home or go big or go, go home. Big, thank you. Just go home. Go big Stop or go dating. home. That's the perfect one. I what about females? What about women and smiling? So um, neutral face was not as good for women. Sure. So for them, it's only the big smile. We as possibly society, definitely American male perspective tends to be, and you've heard this, if a woman has a neutral face, we call it resting bitch face. That's right. Whereas if a guy has a neutral face, there's no comment made about it whatsoever, yes. generally. Yes. So um, there's actually some science behind resting bitch face. Um, so it's oftentimes associated with women who have their facial features angled down. So for example, if my mouth at rest goes down. So if I, yeah, the corners of my mouth are angled slightly down. Sure. Look at you just all resting. Just resting. RDS. I just look awful. So that is a partial sadness micro expression, even though I'm at rest. 
my eyes, you'll notice that I actually use liner to make them go up. I did, I did see that when okay. you were So the reason here. I do that is because if I don't do that, I look more tired because my eyes angle down. Well, right. We are, our tribes, people tend to have that <laughs> characteristic. <laughs> exactly. 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 So that is why what you're seeing is women who don't have RBF, it's because their mouth is usually set slightly up and their eyes are set up. That is what the science is behind resting bitch face. Gotcha. So for a woman, do not go neutral. Really, the big smile is better. If you're going to go neutral, make sure that you don't have downward facing features. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. And you'll know that by whether or not people accuse you of having resting you'll bitch face. You'll, you you'll ever, know. If you ever have, you know. You hear about it all the time. Gotcha. Oh my God. I want to punch people in the face when they tell me to smile. Oh yeah. That's a thing that I didn't realize was not okay until maybe seven years ago, because yeah. I was always like, oh, I'm going to be that guy who always encourages people to smile. The way to encourage people to smile is to smile first, That's right. not to tell them <laughs> to smile. Thank God we said that. Okay, yeah. so two things you should never tell, I think anyone, but especially a woman. One is to smile. Smile looks so good on you. Smile before me, baby. Second is you're so much more short or tall than I thought. You never want to comment on someone's height. Like I have seen this over and over again for a man or a woman. If you tell someone you're so much er than I thought, it really messes with people. Like they're like, well, is that a bad thing? Like, is that a good thing? Like I'm taller. I'm shorter. I have gotten both. I've had people say to me, you're taller than I thought. You're shorter than I thought. You're exactly the height I assumed you were. Thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) Thanks, Jordan. Works every time. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, That's a good point, right? Because we have so much self-worth and identity connected to whether or not you're a big, strong person, and that's a good thing if you're a guy, maybe not so good if you're an athletic female who's a little self-conscious about right. that sometimes. And if you're a guy, you don't want to be smaller than people thought because it makes you seem weaker. And if you're a woman, there's so it's many different- It's very confusing. Right, I've been always. offended by both. I have been offended when people tell me that I'm shorter than I thought when people tell me I'm taller than I thought. I'm offended right. by both. That's crazy. You okay. really can't go right with that, right? Because nope. if you're like, wow, you're even prettier than I thought, it's like, well, F you then. Boo. <laughs> yeah. Boo. Agreed. So what you're saying is I look terrible in all of my photos. That, that is exactly seen. right. And I've had people actually say like, oh, like this picture of you is like really not good. You're so much better looking in person. I'm like, why would you say that to me? Like that is right. ter- I've also had people say, you're so much nicer than you look. Mm. Like, that RBF you that, got. Is, is that supposed to make me feel good? So, okay. So yes, good. I get that one all the time, but it's true because I think in this format, I'm a lot harsher than I am in real life. I don't go around in real life telling people what I tell people on the show. Oh, that people think you're yeah, offline. They, they assume I'm going to be harsher and less friendly I get in person. But you have to be in an interview, right? Like you're trying to like get yeah, info. I yes. I like that we actually discuss things and you're hard hitting. Okay. Six, hands or no hands? In the picture? In the picture. Oh man. Hands in the picture. Hands in the picture. Yeah. That is because they are our trust indicators. Threat detection type stuff going on here. Yeah. And actually for women, this had more of a statistical significance than men. So we saw a lot of women who would do like hand on face, hand on chin, um, hand like touching the hair, right? right. Like so I think for women, it's actually less about the trust. And it's more about the sexy self-touch. So when a woman self-touches, it makes you think, what would it be like to touch her? And so in a way, it it foreshadows a nice level of touch. I think that that's why for women, for hot women, that was seen more often than with men. Huh. Okay. And men, hands in the picture, still same thing. Yeah, but not nearly statistically significant. Don't bother yourself with that one, right? Like it it wasn't enough of a So all those high school yearbook photos where they make you do like (laughs) the steepling and I'm leaning on a ladder right now because there's a ladder here. Let's do the prom pose, like like the prom pose. (laughs) Right. Right. Like that's exactly how it is. Or like you like hold hands like awkwardly up at your chest level, which like no one ever does. Right. Okay. Oh, can we put some lasers in the background, please? <laughs> yeah. I need some, some lasers. clouds, like spatter paint on the back right. of things. Yeah. Shout out to Life Touch Photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
the mark of a hot woman. So we found that of all the hot women, there was a consistent thing that we found over and over again. Longer hair? Uh, nope. Actually, we saw a lot of women with uh, like shorter, like chin length hair. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Short hair. Yeah. I don't know. What was the universal trait? It was the Monroe gaze. So the Monroe gaze is a universal body language trait where Marilyn Monroe did it. That's why it's named after her. So it's that uh, she tilts her head back. She like makes that kind of look. So really? She looks... That's so cheesy. I know. So I think that this makes sense from an evolutionary perspective because if a man is looking at a woman and he sees like neck where the pheromones come out, he sees the softness of her chin, which indicates high estrogen. So, you know, men are looking for high estrogen, right? So symmetrical Signs of face. youth and fertility. Yeah, exactly. And so if you're, if you are tilting your head back and exposing the chin and neck, which can show high levels of estrogen and then looking at someone underneath the lashes, A, it mirrors an orgasm face. Yeah. I was going to say that. Then I thought better of it. Okay. <laughs> I think I saw that yeah, on your you face. Yeah, you saw it go from I, across the eyes. I saw it go eyes. across your eyes. Yeah. And good job. Yes, you're welcome. Good job. I had to say it. Yeah. So that is also the orgasm face, right? And so it, it reminds men of that. That's why it's called the Monroe Gates. That's why Marilyn Monroe did it. But the same thing we found was like, um, you know, Lola Bunny. Do you remember? No. Do you remember? Okay. So, uh, you can Google her or whatever. So Lola Bunny would also like look up through her lashes. So she would expose her neck, but look, be looking up through her lashes. It seemed like that kind of sultry look, either the look up real extreme or the look down with the neck exposed was it the mark of a hot it's one. It's like the Paris Hilton just got out of jail walk. That's right. Type of thing. That's gotcha. right. And so I don't like to advise that to women because I think unless you can really pull it off, it looks, Inauthentic. It's it's also just such a cheesy, really. You know, I don't think you'd think so if you saw it. There, I probably you say been, that now because I'm terrible. Right, at it. right. Maybe that's why. Okay. Maybe Thanks. just a failure of example here. <laughs> I'm terrible at it, especially like in a podcast environment where I'm like, you know, it's like when I flash my neck at you, George. Yeah. Isn't that so yeah, sexy? Look at that Adam's apple. Look at that. Look at that out neck. There. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, I'm doing a bad example of it. Yeah. In these pictures, if I showed you the pictures of these women, you'd be like, oh, dang, I yeah. get it. I say that with caution. I you. Yeah. I believe the data. The data the data speaks for itself, but proceed with caution. Only do it if like that feels natural to you. You got a book coming out. Tell I us do. about that. Yeah, Captivate. It is my personal handbook on the science of succeeding with people. And it's coming out April 25th. And uh, it's all of my favorite human behavior hacks. So there's 14 of them. They're all based in science. And uh, we share a bunch of my original research in there as well. So I'm nice. very excited for it to come out. I hope people like it. Including your husband's food habits. I'm Incl sure those are in there. <laughs> you know what? I don't think that one's in there, but I'll have some other pretty embarrassing sequel. stories. It's in the sequel. <laughs> yeah, Captivate 2. <laughs> <laughs> right. yes. Good. All right. And that'll be linked up in the show notes. Yes, please. I'm so excited. You know, last time I was on here, I wanted to say thank you because all of the Art of Charm listeners, you guys are amazing. I mean, you constantly are tweeting me questions, uh, tweeting out the episode all the time. Like, I don't know, on Twitter, if you see it. Yeah, I see it. People are constantly tweeting our episode from years ago. And so it's old. It's real old. It's really old and people love it. Like, I would say on a weekly basis, you guys reach out and ask a question or say something amazingly supportive. So I just want to say thank you yeah. to Art of Charm listeners, to you for bringing me on two years ago. And I hope this episode was the sequel just as helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm Next sure. Time, I'm going to get you a pituitary gland necklace. Yeah. It's just going to be like a golden a, ball. <laughs> a giant one, just one ball. And, and then we will see, they're going to be like, oh, I guess I know a well, lot about got him. got a cat testicle on his necklace. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to have veins and everything. <laughs> Thank you very much, Vanessa. <laughs> Thank you. Great stuff as usual. Love having Vanessa on the show. And I know what you're thinking. Yes, we are going to have her back soon. We're going to talk about some totally different stuff that's also very practical. Great big thank you to Vanessa Van Edwards. Her book is called Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People. I may or may not have written a little blurb for that book, so we'll link that in the show notes as well. 
If you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Vanessa on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well. I would love it if you'd tweet me your number one takeaway from Vanessa Van Edwards' episode here on The Art of Charm. Remember, you can tap our album art in any podcast player to see the show notes for this episode. We link to those show notes directly on your phone. Unfortunately, as I found out from a lot of our Spotify-based fans, you can't look at the show notes on Spotify by tapping the screen. I'm not even sure they import to Spotify. I'm sorry about that. But if you listen in Spotify, you can download an app like Downcast, or you can use the native podcast app on your iPhone or even the Google Play Store, and they should show up there. Of course, we do have theartofcharm.com slash iPhone and theartofcharm.com slash Android with our own apps if you want to use those to listen to the show more easily. Boot camps, our live program details, those are at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Join thousands of other guys who've been through the program. Take your life to the next level by learning how to read body language, nonverbal communication, persuasion, a lot of the things we teach here on the show and in the toolbox, we teach live, and it's a residential program. You come and you stay with us for a week. It's a blast. We got a whole class full of special forces guys right now and some unsuspecting civilians as AOC family who are probably pretty surprised to see who is in their class, and we do that pretty regularly too, which is always a blast, always a good mix in there. And we sell out a few months in advance, so if you're thinking about it or you're just curious, get in touch with us ASAP, get some info from us, and learn how to plan ahead for once, eh? So go ahead and just check that out at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. I also want to encourage you to dip your toes in the water with the AOC challenge, theartofcharm.com slash challenge. You can text the word CHARMED, C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444, or you can just go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. The challenge is about improving your networking skills, your connection skills, and inspiring those around you to develop a personal or professional and or professional relationship with you. We'll also email you that fundamentals toolbox that I mentioned earlier in the show, which includes a lot of practical stuff ready to apply out of the box on reading body language, having charismatic nonverbal communication, attraction, negotiation, networking, influence, mentorship, persuasion tactics, everything else that we teach here at The Art of Charm. I'm also doing regular videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward. The idea of the challenge is it's gonna make you a better connector, it's gonna make you a better networker, and most importantly, it's gonna make you a better thinker. And that same is true for the toolbox and the challenge. So check it out, theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text the word charmed C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. For full show notes for this and all previous episodes, head on over to theartofcharm.com slash podcast. This episode of AOC was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor, and show notes on the website are by Jason Fogarty. Just kidding, they're by Robert Fogarty, but they might as well be by Jason Fogarty. Theme music by Little People. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Word of mouth truly is everything. So stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.